show you a different picture than the one you have in print. I'm just going to show you a few pictures. Don't worry, it's not a slideshow of my vacation. Okay, so, all right, so look at that picture. Raise your hand if you see a woman. Excellent. All right, put you down. Raise your hand if you see a young woman. Okay, put them down. Raise your hand if you see an old woman. All right, excellent. All right, there are people in our world, and you likely have some in your life, maybe at school or work or in your own family. Indeed, there are certainly some in the greater body we call the church who would have us believe that we must all see exactly the same thing when it comes to faith or God's kingdom or God's word. Specifically, they would say that if you don't see it the same way they do, you're wrong. For them, there is no possibility that people can see things differently without that different being wrong. Let me show you another picture. This is the one you have in front of you. All right, that's what it looks like in color. I couldn't get our printer to do that this morning for some reason. So um, if you haven't already tried it, we're going to try it now. I don't know if you can do it on the screen or not. That would, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't tried that. But what, if you can't read the tiny little print, it says to hold the image close to your nose. And then you look like you're looking through the paper, and then you pull it away, and you just keep looking through it. So don't try to see anything. Just look through the image. Does anyone see it? Oh, awesome. Okay. I have seen it several times, but I cannot now see it. <laughs> so there you go. So... Um, you remember these, those of you who are older may remember these pictures. They were all the rage in the 90s, right? They're called magic eye pictures. And the idea was that in the midst of this chaos and all these different tiny images, you would see a 3D picture kind of pop out of the image. But you have to kind of put your head just the right way and be at just the right distance and look the right way and have your eyes focus in a certain way. And um, some people will not be able to see it at first. So if you can't, don't feel bad. Like I said, I can't see it right now for some reason. And then, um, but for them, the more they practice, then they'll be able to see it. So you might look at it later and go, oh, there it is. Uh, and then others will not be able to see it at all. According to the magic eye people, people with an astigmatism or people with lower stereo vision will not be able to see it. I'm not sure if that's true because I don't have either one of those issues. But uh, nonetheless, you could stare at it forever, some people, and they will not see it. Okay, one more picture. So if you'll just put that one down for a tiny bit. You can pick it back up when I'm preaching. Honestly, it won't offend me. All right, <laughs> so, so here's one more. Okay. And this one, what we want to do is look at the four dots in the middle of the image for 30 seconds. So I'll time us. Just look at the four dots and stare at them. Ready? Here we go. Four dots. 
All right, now look up at the ceiling, not right into the lights like I'm doing, and see what you see. Do you see it? Did everybody see Jesus on the ceiling? Awesome. All right, good. So as we look at a string of parables that Jesus told today, we may see different things in them. We may come to different understandings about the kingdom of God. But if we all will fix our eyes on Jesus, then we will hear with our ears and see with our eyes exactly what Jesus plans for us. So I'm going to take us back to this picture, and it'll just stay there. Okay. Um, so we've been looking at parables of Jesus as told in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We've looked at several for uh, weeks leading up to this. And this whole section in the 13th chapter is called Jesus' Kingdom Discourse, which is really just a fancy way of saying Jesus teaching us about the kingdom of God. And parables are simply like these things that we've been looking at. They're pictures that are painted with words, and they're there to tell us, to teach us, or show us something. In this case, Jesus is trying to show us what the kingdom of God is like. And so in today's passage, Jesus uses um, an old rabbinic teaching method. It's called shiraz. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. But it means stringing pearls together, literally. And so the teacher would spin out image after image or wisdom saying after wisdom saying or parable after parable saying, uh, after parable in a seemingly random way to try to tell a larger truth by focusing on the smaller details or to try to paint a picture from a variety of perspectives. And I am sure that just as we might get frustrated hearing all those parables in a row and trying to figure out, well, which one is it, Lord, as did the original people have the same. You know, they may have even said out loud, well, which one is it, Jesus? Is it a net? Is it a pearl? Is it a treasure in a field? Is it yeast? Do we stumble across it? Do we make a checklist and look for it? Does it work in secret, hidden away from our eyes like yeast? Or does it sprout up into a big tree and, that we can see and provide shade and protection? Is it something common like a seed or something questionable like a valuable treasure or yeast? And to all those questions, you can just see Jesus sitting there and going, yes. Not because he's trying to be funny, but because actually that's the best answer. Yes, it's exactly that and so much more. He really does actually want us to see and understand. He's not trying to confuse us. We just can't do it by thinking the way we usually think or seeing as we usually see. So we have to kind of look under our noses and off to the horizon at the same time, kind of like that magic eye picture, you know? And Jesus knows, though, that we all see things differently, that it depends a lot on our background, our experiences, our personality, our religious history, etc. So Jesus paints several pictures, pictures that he knows or at least hopes that then the original audience would be able to get a glimpse of God's kingdom and that we would as well. So let those with ears hear and let those with eyes see. So just as some see an old woman and some see a young woman in this picture, different people see different things in these parables about the kingdom of God. So I just want to look at two different ways that one could look at these strings of parables, putting them together. And there are more, believe me. <laughs> but, but here's two that I think um, really 
work for us and make sense. One is that we can look at the um, items and the people that are, that are talked about in these parables as very ordinary. We see ordinary things like seeds and weeds and soil and fields and yeast and pearls and dirt. And we see ordinary people like a woman, a merchant, and two people who are so ordinary they're only known as someone and somebody. The kingdom of heaven is somehow seen in these ordinary people doing mostly ordinary tasks with ordinary things. And somehow the ordinary yields the extraordinary, right? A tiny mustard seed grows into a giant bush or tree, and there are miraculous transformations. An ordinary woman provides enough bread to feed the multitudes. A seed grows into a weed that is usually thrown away, but in the kingdom of God, it is used to provide shade and nurturing to God's creation. A merchant who only ever cared about making money suddenly doesn't care about anything else but that one invaluable pearl. And an average somebody is so overjoyed at finding a treasure that he sells everything to buy that field so he can possess that treasure forever. And so it is with us. We go about doing the things God put before us to do, our ordinary tasks with ordinary things, and somehow hidden and mixed into this strange, wonderful combination of ordinary people, activities, and items, the kingdom of God appears. I see it all the time in the church. People sending cards and notes to folks who are lonely or grieving or sick. The men mowing people's lawns or moving furniture for folks or moving the pastor. (laughs) People, the ladies that take care of our altar to make sure the candles have oil in them and the right colored pyramids are on the altar table and on here and make sure our banners are hung up. Right? Linda and Terry that make sure we have communion elements on the first Sunday of every month. We have beautiful fresh baked bread and juice to remember our wonderful Savior and what he did for us, our singers and musicians, our AVL crew that you almost never see because they're always back in the background, making sure that worship can happen, especially for those of you worshiping online. People who fill in at the office so that our staff can have a day of training and development and relationship building. Mark Trammell, who does our IT stuff and and got us all having this on-realm system that, well, let's just say it has opened up all kinds of doors for us in ministry and will open up many more if we can just look at these ordinary things and see how the kingdom of God is there in the midst. If we shift our perspective and look at these ordinary things and people differently, we can see Jesus Christ making the kingdom of God appear. What if we made it our daily business to try to see the kingdom of God in the midst of the ordinary? The wait person at the restaurant when we're out to lunch, the barista at the coffee shop, the guy who changes our oil or fixes our tire. What if the kingdom of God is like them? What if the kingdom of God is like all these ordinary things because that's the point of the kingdom of God, to be the place where the ordinary and the extraordinary intersect to create the sacred? 
to be the place where God and humanity intersect to consummate the perfect love of God in every nook and cranny of the world. Isn't that why Jesus became human in the first place? So how would we change if we thought that way? If we not only accepted that maybe perhaps the kingdom of God could include these ordinary things and ordinary people, but we embraced and searched for the kingdom of God in the midst of this ordinary. What would that say about them? What would that say about us? Maybe a good prayer that we might say in the morning would be to ask God to lead us, to show us the kingdom of God, and to use us to show the kingdom of God to the ordinary people we encounter today through our ordinary activities. So there is that last parable, right, about the fishermen and the net. Even that has a lot of ordinary in it. Ordinary fishermen and ordinary net, but it's used to show us something a little different. It's used to show us that one day, when the kingdom of God has come to its completion, and you know, in in our translation it says end, and we think linear with time, and so we think, well, whenever time has expired, the word really means a consummation, a perfection of God's kingdom, and we don't know when that day will be, and God is waiting. But that last parable tells us that when God's kingdom is complete, then and only then will there be a sorting and a judgment. So until then, well, there's a lot of waiting in the kingdom of God, right? Waiting for yeast to mix in and rise, waiting for the net to be full, waiting for a seed to sprout and the plant to grow, waiting for the land to be acquired and waiting for the date of completion when he will finally get to dig up that treasure once and for all also a lot of working in the kingdom of God. Kneading, mixing, hiding, fishing, planting, sowing, searching, digging, burying, selling, buying. And somehow hidden in this strange mixture of waiting and working, the kingdom of God appears. All right, so that's one way to look at it. But just as some of you saw an old woman instead of a young woman in that picture, Some see the kingdom of God not among the ordinary in these parables, but instead among the subversive. So they see the subversive nature of the kingdom of God in these parables. All the elements that Jesus used in these first four parables were all subversive elements. Leaven. It's not like the little packet of yeast that you and I have in our kitchen or some of us have in our kitchen right? It's almost universally seen as something evil and unclean in Jesus' day. It was created by setting aside a portion of leftover bread to spoil. And then when that um, spoiled, it would be added to flour to make leaven for more bread. If it wasn't spoiled enough, it wouldn't work and it would be worthless. But if it was too spoiled, if it was left too long, then it would spoil the bread and likely cause food poisoning, which would likely cause death. Leaven was something that women cleaned out of their houses in preparation for the Passover because it was seen as unclean. Subversive for God to say the kingdom of God is like that. 
Or how about the mustard seed? Well, mustard actually, you know, it sounds from our English translations like this tree was just this wonderful thing that everybody wanted in their, on their land, but actually the mustard was a weed that any farmer with any sense would yank out of his garden, out of his field. But in the kingdom of God, that seed gets to remain and grows into a giant tree-sized weed that provides nurturing. This was not a seed that any farmer would intentionally sow into his field. It would actually be hidden and mixed in with the good seed. And it was so small that the farmer couldn't see it. So he would, he would sow it, not even meaning to. Or how about the treasure in the field? Sounds nice, but the guy is digging in somebody else's property. <laughs> He's a thief. He's digging on this other person's property. He finds a treasure, and instead of going to the owner of that property and saying, hey, did you know there's treasure on your property? He reburies it and then goes and buys that property without ever telling that owner that that treasure was there. Now, we have disclosure statements now to help us keep that from happening when we buy property, right? He's a thief. How can that be what the kingdom of God is like? Or how about the merchant? We hear merchant, we think of an entrepreneur, somebody who is making a good living, who's self-employed and pulling them up by their bootstraps. But they did not think of that. They thought of a huckster, a cheat. Merchants were thought in, held in very low self-esteem in Jesus' time, and they were all about making a buck. Yet when this merchant finds one pearl, he liquidates everything he has and puts himself out of business to have this one pearl. All of these say that the kingdom of God is fundamentally different from the other kingdoms, right? In Jesus' day, in Matthew's time, it was other kingdoms. It was Rome. It was the establishment. What is it for us? For them, it was Rome whose values were social inequity and violence. So where our society resembles those policies and values, then we're to be subversive too. Mustard and leaven present a message of transformation. And they point to what is ultimately of value in God's kingdom. And that's what others consider junk. And the treasure and the pearl these two undesirables show us how we should respond to the kingdom of God in our midst with joy, with searching, with sacrifice, and with valuing the kingdom of God above all. So here we have these four parables, really, well, five parables. And they tell us that the kingdom of God is maybe not what we think we see. So look again at that picture. Now that you know that there's an old woman and a young woman in that picture, can you see them both? That's what Jesus is trying to do with these parables. He wants us to see beyond what our initial sight might show us, to see the kingdom of God in our midst. And we are called to go out into the world and show the kingdom of God to others and to see the kingdom of God in here with each other. And these are what these parables are for. So whether you see ordinary or subversive, may this day and every day forward, 
you see and bring forward the kingdom of God in your midst. Amen.